Hey, good morning. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. Very glad you're here this morning. Uh, just a couple of praises before we open up our Bibles to First Peter uh, chapter 4 today. Um, last Sunday, we baptized 16 more people. So, so that makes 23 over like two weeks that we did, um, two weekends that uh, we did uh, baptize um, people. So that was awesome. It was fantastic. It was a beautiful day at the river, and uh, it was just a, a wonderful celebration. So that's something to really praise God for. So there's something else to praise God for, particularly today, this morning. Because 90 years ago, God blessed the world with Glenna Gray. So today is her 90th birthday, right there. 91? Today is her 91st birthday. I was never very good with math. That's why I'm standing up here. 91. 91? 91. 91 years old. And that deserves singing happy birthday, don't you think? All right. Glenna. Glenna. So, you ready? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Glenna. Happy birthday to you. Woo! And Glenna loves it when I draw attention to her. So uh, she's always grateful. She's such an attention hog. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So I can't hear what she's saying, which is probably best for both of us right now. So, um, and Glenna, you know, Glenna for a long time, uh, she would get up and she would be here at 6, 6, 6.30 in the morning to make coffee for everybody. So that was a fantastic, um, awesome. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, uh, let's, let's pray again uh, as we prepare to open up our hearts and open up God's word today. Jesus, thank you for uh, your tremendous grace and mercy upon us. Um, thank you that you are faithful and uh, that we got to celebrate uh, new life um, in those uh, 23 baptisms um, here amongst our community of faith. And Lord, we, um, we once again just pray for your protection, for your blessing, that you would watch over them and their families, um, that you would guard their hearts and their minds in you, Jesus. And Heavenly Father, um, we thank you so much for the gift of Glenna to so many people and the joy and the smiles and the heart of service that she brings and has brought. Um, and just pray for your blessing upon her. Lord, this morning, open up our hearts. Let us hear from you. Um, open up our spirits to be attentive to what you are going to whisper or maybe even shout um, to us. And so that we will be able to live that life that you long for us to live, that we would be able to live in the fullness of you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So back uh, in my earlier days, um, in order and effort to sort of keep up with my marathoning wife, um, I, I started running um, because I always hated running uh, until I sort of changed my narrative in my brain and said, you know what, I'm going to engage in this. Uh, and so then I thought, well, you know what, I've never done a triathlon. So I thought, why not do a triathlon? And the other thing was is that 
I'll be completely honest because you're vulnerable here, is that the worst way for me to die is to drown. I do not want to do that. So the idea of swimming, you know, in a triathlon, and these are sprints. They weren't the Ironman things you see in, in Hawaii. They, they were the shorter ones. But still, you have to, you have to, to swim. And, and um, I remember the first one I did, it was down in Sacramento, and it was in the Sacramento River um, where Sacramento and the American River come together. And you had to swim up river. So, which, whoever thought of that, I don't know. It's like, you're doing a triathlon already. That's dumb. You should have people swim down river. But nobody asked me. So, and I'll tell you what, any current is a current that you're swimming against. Um, but I made it. And then I thought, you know what, I'm going to do another one because uh, suffering's good for the soul. And uh, so, but, and as I was training, I was thinking about how to, you know, how to train, you know, and doing some research around that and talking to people. And one of the things that um, I read and figured out is that if you can picture what the finish line is, if you can picture what the other side of that goal is or that, that hard thing that you're going to do, that that helps your brain to stay you know, engaged in the pain and the challenge and the difficulty of doing something hard. And so what I did is I went online and I, I you know, typed in, you know, old man triathlon, right? You know, and, uh, uh, so old man, you know, bike ride, old man swim, old man, um, you know, run. And I found these pictures. And, and so I printed them out and I put them by my bed on the wall by my bed. So every night when I went to bed, I would see those pictures to remind me of what it looked like to finish. Um, has anybody here ever wanted to quit doing in, in, in the midst of some, doing something hard? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and maybe you're there right now. Maybe you're sitting there this morning and you're like, man, you know what? It's just too hard. I, don't, I do not want to keep going. I, I get it. I, I understand. And you didn't sign up for it, right? You didn't, you, it's not necessarily it's like, oh, well, you know what? Let's try this. It's like life put it on you. And you're in the midst of it and you want to quit. And here's something that I, I want to encourage you with and, and challenge us with this morning as we come into 1 Peter chapter 4. Is that there's power in living today when we remember the end. When we keep in mind the goal. When we keep in mind the finish line that, that we're going to cross. And that's a guarantee is that we're going to cross that finish line. It's going to, finish line's going to come. And if we're followers of Jesus, then there is, there is great joy. There's great celebration. There is great blessing that, that comes with that. It, one of the cool things about doing like marathons or, or triathlons is that there's a lot of people that are there at the finish line that are waiting and they're cheering on the people who are crossing the finish line. And if you're like me, there's even more people initially because everybody's finished before you, right? So, that, you know, the people there, they're like, yeah, you can do it. Except for one marathon I did, it was Seattle Rock and Roll Marathon. I was so slow that they were putting the tables away. There was hardly anybody. But my family was there. They were like, you did it, David. I'm like, yeah, I did. Thank God. Let's go eat something, right? Let's lay down. So what's the picture of the finish line? And, and even in thinking about the challenge that you are going through, even thinking about the race that you are running right now where you are wanting to give up, what's that intermediate finish line? What's, what's the, if, if God did a miracle, 
if God did an extraordinary blessing in your life, what would the finish line look like? What would it look like and what would it feel like to cross that? Sort of what we're being invited into today as we come into 1 Peter chapter 4. So if you open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. And as you're doing that, let me read to you a couple of, of scriptures that have just talk about that finish line. Because this idea of crossing it and, 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 and the reward of it is not something that the Bible is, is silent about. In Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him in his race, that he endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand, of the throne of God. That Jesus looked beyond the cross that he saw on the other side of the cross, on the other side of the suffering, of the greatness, of the blessing. And then Paul in 2 Timothy 4, 7 says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And he's writing to young Timothy who's just beginning his ministry and Paul is ending his ministry and he's handing off that ministry and saying, okay, man, you, it's time for you to run now. I can see, I can see the finish line. I can see the finish line. And I'm going to remind you, there's the finish line. Keep going. 1 Peter 4, verses 1 and 2. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you've suffered physically for Christ, you've finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. Now, as, as Peter begins this part of his letter, one of the things he reminds us here in these words in verses 1 and 2 is, is that there's a battle that we're a part of. That we, when we wake up in the morning, uh, that we are stepping into a battlefield. And that battlefield is a spiritual battlefield. And that spiritual battlefield affects our emotions, it affects our, our thinking, it affects our bodies of, of what we do. And every day we, we enter into that. And every day is a choice and a battle about what we're going to uh, live out of. Right? Are we gonna? We're we gonna wake up and, and is today all about me and what? Am I gonna live out of what I can do and what my power and what my ability is, or is there a different place? Is there a different way to live? And and Peter is as he's writing to these scattered Christians who are under persecution, who are under pressure, who are under the challenges of living in a culture that isn't just ignoring them but is pushing back on them he says what do you what do you do he says well you have a choice and there are two choices and, and one of those choices that you is you can live from the spirit the bible talks a lot about this the new testament talks a lot about this of of this life from the spirit a life that is empowered by the spirit a life that is looking to the wisdom of the Spirit of God, the third, third person of the Trinity. And that's an option for us. It's an opportunity for us. It is something that we can take. 
Now, there, there are some, some faith traditions out there that, that emphasize this more than others. And, and sometimes it can be, you know, emphasized that, you know, well, unless you're, you're experiencing these, these amazing spiritual gifts, which I believe that are still operative, of like speaking in tongues and prophecy and those types of things, I think that God still works in that way. The Spirit still works in that way. But he doesn't have to work in that way. It's not the only way that the Spirit is manifest in our life. In fact, it's, I think it's oftentimes a little bit more of a reminder of the presence of the Spirit is constantly within you. He says, okay, you, that's one of the choices, living from the Spirit. The other choice is to live from yourself. Is to say, okay, <laughs> I've got this. And, you know, if you've been around for a while, you've heard me, you know, sort of use this illustration where we get up in the morning and we go, okay, God, you know, I looked at my calendar. Today looks like a pretty good day. Um, I think you can take today off for me. I've got it. I can do it myself. But there is a friend of mine who you really need to help, right? So spend the energy you'd spend with me on them and give them a little extra. And, and that sort of, we may not, you know, do that actual, you know, verbalization of that narrative or that story, but that we begin to live in that way. It's like, yeah, I've got this. Now, here's the thing, is, is that the Bible reminds us is that, you know what, that is a, that is a, guaranteed path to disaster that is a guaranteed path to losing maybe big maybe small but but the most important thing is this is a guaranteed path of a separation of relationship with God have you ever had somebody who said I'll do it myself. I'm, I'm going to do it myself. I can do it myself. I'm going to do it myself. And you're like, I want to help. I want to help. And you're like, no, I'm going to do it myself. I mean, what does that do to relationship, a rich relationship? And we can do that with, with God, of our experience of God. And so, so there's this, these words from Peter. He says, listen, in the life that you live, as you wake up in the morning, as you engage in this life, then you need to arm yourself to live well. Since then, Christ suffered physical pain. You must arm yourselves with the same attitude that he had and be ready to suffer. So what's this arm yourself? I mean, so this, this speaks into the whole idea of spiritual battle, of spiritual warfare that, we, um, that exists around us. Now, we all understand is that, you know, we, and, and we embrace for the most part is that, you know what, I have, you, you have a brain, so we're thinking people, and we have, you know, emotions, we have a heart, and so we engage the world with our emotional self. And we have a, we have a body, we, you know, we, we walk around and we, we do things. And oftentimes we can be lulled to sleep to think that's the only thing that there is. But the Bible has long made it clear is, is that you are, a, you are a being as well. You are a spiritual person as well. Uh, I've shared that one of my interests is neuroscience, and I do coaching, and I train coaches, um, leadership coaches, life coaches, um, of how to coach. And one of the classes I teach is the neuroscience of coaching. And so it's one of the things that I am constantly learning and reading on. And I was reading a book recently about this, um, and it was written by a woman who is a leader in her field in neuroscience. 
And it was so interesting because what she was talking about is like, hey, you know what? Every person you meet, they're a thinking person, they have emotions, they're a heart person, and they have a body. There's a gut, you know, instinct to them. But also what we've discovered from a neuroscience perspective is, is that every person you meet is a being as well. And they didn't say it this way, but they have a soul. That your brain and your mind are two different things. And this is sort of one of the big discussions in science is that sort of the idea of consciousness. And that's our soul. That's our, that's our being. And from a biblical perspective, from Jesus' perspective, from, the, from what we're seeing this morning is a reminder is, is that the spiritual world that you live in and I live in is as real as the chair that you're sitting on today. And in fact, it's even more real because it is going to be the eternal place that you dwell. This is a temporary residence. But there's an eternal residence that we are being prepared for. And so if that spiritual world is real, then how do we live in that spiritual world? And this is what Paul says in Ephesians 6. If you have your Bible, you want to turn to Ephesians 6, verse 10. This is what he, what he says. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, he says, A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil, the evil one. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. And Paul acknowledges, says, hey, you know, the battle that you're fighting, when you get up, you know, that choice of I'm going to live in my power, I'm going to live in the Spirit's power, that battle that you're fighting is not just a physical battle, there's a spirit, it's a spiritual battle. And that spiritual battle is real. And for the most part, we, you know, we ignore that. We, we put it away until we get to Halloween. And then it's all, all about the spirits, right? It's all about the spiritual realm and all about this thing. And we sort of play with it and we make fun of it and, and everything. But Paul's saying, listen, that's a, that's, a, that's a reality of what you are experiencing. And then in Ephesians 4, before uh, Ephesians 6... Because 4 becomes 4, 6, if you missed that, just so you know. Um, Ephesians 4, Paul is instructing the church. He's saying, listen, this is how the, the church is supposed to function in Ephesians 4. And he said, there's different gifts that given to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. And their responsibility of those leadership gifts is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. It's to equip us to fight the battle. <laughs> to, to be engaged in the battle so that we can be built up, that we can be encouraged. And then later on, he, he says, instead, we'll speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. That's Jesus who makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Arm yourself. And I, I think the, the thing to remember as, as Peter writes this letter, 
again, our culture of Western culture is, is that what we hear that is a singular. It says, oh, David, arm yourself. Rick, arm yourself. Nick, arm yourself. And no, what he's saying is, is that he's saying church, body, you, y'all. We'll go Texas here, right? Y'all, arm yourself. That's a, it's an us thing, Ephesians 4. It's an us thing. So what you're going to experience in your life is, is that as you go down this path is, is that there are the forks in the road that you have to choose. Which direction are you going to go? In 1 Peter 4, verses 3 through 5, he says this. You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. Their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. And so what he's doing there is he's saying, look at the world around you. Look at the things that are going on that you used to be a part of, that you used to be a part of. That you, you are no longer a part of that. Because you're a part of Christ. And then... He continues, he says, of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do, so they slander you. But remember that they will have to face God who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. And, you know, and I love this because what Peter's doing is he's acknowledging that living in the world that we do, in the relationships, in, the, in real life, it's the tension, Right? That we are constantly invited into a life that maybe we have experienced in the past, or maybe we haven't, but we're sort of tempted by it. Says, "Oh, that seems like it's a good thing," but it's like, no, that's not the life that God wants. Because if you go into that life, it breaks relationship. You don't have relationship, or you lose your intimacy with Christ. You lose your intimacy with each other. And so there's a, a crossroads that you come to. There's a fork in the road that you have to decide. And, and one of those is, is that are you going to cross the line of faith? Are you going to step across the line of faith and enter into relationship with God through Jesus? It's a, it's a central idea is that we have that choice. That we are, are faced with that at some point. What are you going to do with Jesus? And that's the most important question that you can answer in your life. Is that what am I going to do with Jesus? Are you going to step across that line of faith and say, Okay, Jesus, I believe in you. And I'm going to follow you. And it seems like, well, that seems pretty simple. It is simple. It is a simple, but, but anybody who's stepped across that line of faith knows what that involves is that you surrender your life and you give it over to Jesus. You trust Jesus. Um, when the people of Israel are entering into the promised land and Moses, he messed up, so he didn't get to go in. And, uh, and God chose Joshua to lead them into the promised land and to take over the promised land. At the end of the book of Joshua, in Joshua 24, verse 15, he says these iconic words that, you know, they're, they're, uh, when Pam and I were married, uh, somebody gave us a poster that, um, or a little um, a painting drawing with these words on it. You've probably seen them in uh, many believers' homes. And it says this, and um, the, the last part of it, the first part, he says, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers, 
served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And what Joshua's doing, he's like, okay, line in the sand. Who are you going to serve? And that's a fork in the road. And, and so what we talk about here at Cold Springs Church is sort of this simple ABC, is that we have to, to cross that line of faith, we have to accept who we are, that we are broken, that we are separated from God. The Bible, the, the word that the Bible uses for that is sinner, having that broken relationship with God. We have to accept that. We have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he hung on that cross, he died, and then he was resurrected. And then we have to choose to commit to follow Jesus. A, B, C. Accept, believe, commit. Have you done that? Have you done that? It, and it's not a secret prayer. It's your heart before God's heart. That's a crossroad. That's a fork in the road. Now, here's the thing, though, is, is that what I find is, is that I'll, I'll talk to people and say, yeah, I, I prayed that prayer when I was, a, I was a kid or I was a teenager. And then you look at their life and you go, well, well, what difference did that make? Because it's like, well, I got my fire insurance, right? It's like, I, I paid my fire insurance, so I'm saved. I can just sort of live my life. And you see, but here's what you're doing. If you think about it as that the, the kingdom of God is this beautiful home. It's, it's this multi-million dollar mansion, you know, many rooms, all that type of thing. It's got pools. It's got, you know, a refrigerator that's stocked with, you know, everything that you could want. You know, all the great beverages. You know, there's, there's wonderful places to, to sit and to lay down. There's great people that are in there. And you, so what you do is, is that you, you know, the doors open and you step across the line and you go, okay, I'm in the house you're like, well, why don't you get out of the foyer? Why don't you get out of the, you know, what, go a little further in. It's like, no, 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 I like, I like this. And then, you know, occasionally somebody opens the door and bumps you, and you're like, oh, sorry, get, uh, you know. And you, you never move into the house. You see, that's the, other, that's the other fork in the road, is that each day is that we have the fork in the road of daily staying in the life of the faith, to stay in the life of the spirit. And, and one of the, the ways the Bible talks about this is obedience. And when we hear the word obedience, does anybody sort of get your little hackles raised? It's like, I don't need to be obedient to nobody, right? It sort of just rubs us the wrong way. But obedience is about relationship. It's about moving closer to God. It's, it, it is stepping towards him to say, oh, you know what? That matters to you, God. That's going to matter to me. And because it matters to you and now it matters to me, we're going to experience intimacy. I had a, um, uh, this last Wednesday, I, I spoke at youth group, and uh, we did the thing, uh, ask David anything. Um, and uh, so the kids could write, you know, car, uh, questions down on, on cards and, and ask me questions uh, there were some really rude children in our youth group, I want you to know, who asked about the Bears the, and the playoffs and the Super Bowl. I don't know whose kids those are. But, you know, you might want to pray for those families. And if you want to know who those kids are, talk to me afterwards and I'll tell you who directly to pray for. But anyway, that's, that's a beside the point. That's a beside the point. Um, but one of, the, one of the kids asked a simple question. It's sort of the end. says, how do I grow in my faith? See, that's a fork in the road question. How do I grow in my faith? 
And so, you know, I, I said, okay, you know, here's, here's three things. If you want to grow in your faith, three things, three forks in the road. One is, is to read scripture daily, to be in God's word daily, and then to talk about it with somebody. So if you've been here before, you've heard me talk till I'm blue in the face, and I'll continue to do it, download the Bible app and do a devotional Bible app devotion with another person. Because you can just write, you know, a sentence. You can write two sentences of reflection. But if you do that each day, you will grow spiritually. The other is to engage. The second thing you can do to grow spiritually, engage in intentional worship and relationship. So that's what we're doing here this morning. Good job. You're growing spiritually. You know, you're engaged in worship. You're engaged in relationship with other people. But you can do that in a small group. You can do that in the women's event and, you know, and, and going and, and doing the girly loop out at, out at uh, Magnolia Ranch. All of that is an expression of spiritual growth. And then the third thing, if you want to grow in your faith, is to do your faith by doing serving and doing generosity and doing prayer. Doing. Do you hear the word? Doing. Live out your faith. Do something with that. Don't just keep it private. Don't keep it in your head. Do it. If you do that, then you will grow in your, faith, in your faith. But if you do that, here's the other thing that Peter reminds you. Expect resistance. Expect resistance. Now, particularly if you're a young adult. If you're in the junior high and high school and, and uh, in college, there's a lot of people who are experimenting with a lot of different things and a lot of different directions that people are going and, and youth are trying to figure it out. And they're going to say, hey, come along with us. Come along with us. Do this. Do this. Come on. Everybody else is doing it. And, and just because everybody else is doing it probably is a good idea that maybe you shouldn't do it, right? You're, there's going to be resistance within that. And you'll have to take a stand. And that's hard. That's why you need to be in Scripture daily. That's why you need to be in relationship with other people because they can support you and they can encourage you. You know, another thing um, for all of us as we live this out, um, you know, our daily faith is, is, is that we are called to influence the people around us, to, to not be conformed by, by the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind, Romans 12 says, tells us. So how do you influence the people around us and, and here's the thing, is, is that you talk about it. You talk about faith. And it's not preaching, it's not yelling, it's not shouting somebody down, it's talking about it, it's having meaningful spiritual conversations. You can have courage and faith and, and assurance in your conversation because Jesus, the Spirit, is with you. And it doesn't mean you have to know all the answers. Parents, you don't have to know all the answers to your kids' questions. I think one of the biggest mistakes that I, I've made as a parent, so I have five kids, um, and we have this very diverse mixed family. We have biological kids, we have adopted kids, we have um, foster kids, and, and so had all these experiences, and, and what I wish I would have done better is just to have conversations about the things that they were going through in the world around them. And, you know, we're coming up to Halloween, so we can go like, oh, you know what, we're not going to celebrate Halloween. Why? Because I told you so, right? It's evil. You know, we, you know there might be triggering us. But here's the thing is, is that our kids are in this world, and they are experiencing and exposed to this world. And if they have a, a smartphone, 
You cannot keep them away from the world. You, you have to turn off the internet, lock them in a room, put them in a cave or whatever, because that influences. So you have to talk about it. And to say, you know, what is it that you want to talk about? And, and why is this important? And how do you live in a way that honors and pleases God? That's fork and road. That's engaging in the battle. And, and I think another thing that's really important here. It's, you have to give up fairness. Has anybody here uh, has anybody here ever said that's not fair in your life? Have you ever heard that that's not fair? Have you ever looked around and said that's not fair? Right. This is an eternal thing. And, and again, sort of that neuroscience thing. I, I remember I was reading one place is that there's actually sort of a part of our brain that measures fairness and that we're attuned to that. And so it's sort of a part of our wiring that that's not fair. And then we, you know, we become angry and bitter and, you know, towards others and towards God. But, but here's the thing. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus, 44 through 45. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Well, Jesus, that's not fair. First Peter 4, 5. But remember that they will have to face God, who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. Yeah, it might not be fair. Now. But we all answer to God. And the person that you're struggling with, or you think that that's not fair, you can live with the end in mind. You can trust that God will take care of you and will take care of Live as Jesus called us to live. Live with the end in mind. And as Peter sort of wraps up the letter, he just gets really practical. He just sort of um, throws some things out there. In 1 Peter 4, 7, he says, the end of the world is coming soon. Okay? The end is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. He's saying, as a follower of Jesus, pray for others and pray for God's blessing and his strength in your life. Be earnest and disciplined. Because there's that fork in the road. God, I've got it today. Or God, I need you today. And then he says that love matters in 1 Peter 4, 8. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Did you catch that? Most important of all. Most important of all, one of the, the questions I had from the kids was, is that how do I, what do I do um, with teachers or friends that don't treat me, aren't treating me right, that that's not fair, right? So again, you know, I haven't seen these questions, so I'm like, hmm, that's a good question. You punch them in the nose. That's what you do. No, <laughs> you don't do that. Don't do that. I, that's sarcasm, kids. That, don't do that. That's going to get you in big trouble. What I said was, is that you pray for them. Because it's hard to hate people that you pray for. So if you are struggling with somebody, if you are having a challenge with somebody, then my encouragement, challenge to you, is to pray for them. To, and to pray love towards them. See, love matters. And love is intentional. Love is full of effort. First Peter 4.9, he continues, he says, Hospitality matters. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. 
One of the most powerful witnesses of the early church was hospitality. It was the way that they opened up their resources, their homes, their stuff, and shared them with the community. In the, the book of Acts, the, the early church, when they, it was, they said they were gathering together in the temple courts and they were sharing um, with others as they had need. This is this picture of, of hospitality. And, and I like the you know, cheer, cheerfully thing there. Like, don't grudgingly, <laughs> cheerfully. And then serve, serving matters. So again, real quick. Prayer matters, love matters, hospitality matters, serving matters. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another, Peter says. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. The, the, the Bible makes it very clear that every one of you here sitting in this room today, every person who is watching this on YouTube or live right now in our, our webcast, is, is that you, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have a spiritual gift. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus, when you become, there is a gift that is waiting to be unleashed. And that gift that God has given you is for the benefit of the people around you. And when you live for the benefit of the people around you, you will be extraordinarily blessed. Serve. So here's a very practical thing. We've talked about this is that in uh, the second week of Sunday of January, we're going to be launching our Kids World during this service so we can have Kids World in first service and second service so we can serve our families and reach our families in our community um, and impact our, our, our families and our kids. And we need the volunteers to be able to do that. In order to make that happen, we have to serve our families. We have to serve our kids. And so the question is, is that is God inviting you to, to step into that role? And we've had a number of people respond, but I know that we still need some more. And so maybe God's saying that's an area that you need to serve and that you then go and talk to Sylvia and Charlotte in the kids' ministry or you mark on the card that you're interested about that. But here's the other thing. Don't wait for somebody else to organize an opportunity for you to serve. That's what we oftentimes find is like, well, I didn't know about it. Look at the world. Does the world around us need people who will serve others? Is there, are there opportunities needs? There are. Just, just pray, Jesus, will you open my eyes today to an opportunity to serve someone? And see what happens. See what happens. You are going to be amazed at the things you begin to see. And you're going to go like, uh, Jesus, can you do that less today than you did yesterday? You know, don't do that. Just step into it. Say yes. Say yes. The, the name of the series is Jesus First. How do we live in a world that is increasingly challenging? How do we live in a world that is increasingly difficult? We put Jesus first. That it's supposed to be about Jesus and not about you. And that's where Peter ends up, right? He says, okay, here are the things that you need to do if you're living with the end in mind. You need to pray, you need to serve, you need to give. 
And then he says this in 1 Peter 4.11. He says, then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. Everything you do. If you do these things, everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Not all glory and power to David forever and ever. No, to him, to Jesus. When we begin to live that way. And here, here's, the, here's the little secret. If God is getting glory through your life, if Jesus is getting glory for your, through your life, you are, you are blessed. You are blessed. You will experience that in your own life. So we end with these questions to consider, right? So here's some questions to consider. What do you believe about spiritual battles? What's your conviction? What do you believe? Do you, do you believe that there's a spiritual world we're living in? How'd you come to that conviction? Is it is it right? Is it biblical? Have you crossed the line of faith, believing in Jesus and receiving him? Is that a choice, a decision that you've made in your life? If you have done that, then here's my, my invitation, challenge um, to you. Sometime this week, tell your story to somebody else. Tell that story. Maybe it's been a long time since you told that story. Tell your story to somebody. Maybe, uh, mom and dads, tell your kids about how you came to faith in Jesus. Have you done that? Or tell a friend. Tell your story. And... Um, if, if no, if you haven't crossed the line of faith, here's my challenge to you. Is it, well, what keeps you from doing so? And tell that story to somebody. Just put it out there, verbalize it. What is it that keeps you from crossing the line of faith? There's a story behind that. The, the, the third one here is, what, what has helped you the most to stay in the life of faith? As you look about at your life, you know, the good days, bad days, you know, what are the good days? What is, the, what is that where, where God has met you? How have you been a part of that? And then lastly, prayer, love, hospitality, and serving are the practical expressions of a life of faith. So where is Jesus inviting you into a fuller expression of faith in how you live? You know, which of those of prayer, love, hospitality, serving. We'll just take those things. Where is Jesus inviting you to engage in that at another level? And what will it take for you to say yes? When we say yes, Jesus meets us. And we're blessed. Say yes. Say yes. Let's pray together. As we, as we go into prayer, I, I want to give an opportunity of crossing that line of faith. If you ever just have your eyes closed and, um, and if you're at that place and you know what, and, you're, and, and you feel that sort of pounding in your chest or you feel that sense of this is a decision that I've been not wanting to make but I need to make, then I'm going to just say this prayer. And, and if you pray a prayer like this, and that's what it means to cross that line of faith. Jesus, this, this morning, I'm feeling that you're saying today's the day. 
And so there is some fear that comes with saying yes to you. Because I don't know what that totally looks like, and it scares me. And yet I'm, I want to say yes to you, Jesus. And so I, I accept that I need you and that I need to surrender. Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe that you lived on this earth, that you died on a cross, but you were resurrected to life. And I choose to commit today to following you. I don't know all that that is, but I choose to trust you more than myself. Come and lead my life. Jesus, for all of us, we daily face those forks in the road, those places where we have the choices. Are we going to live in what we can do or are we going to live in what you want to do and are capable of doing in us? Lord, help us to say yes to you. Help us to, to walk past the front door, past the, the lobby, past the mud porch and, and enter into the, the, the blessing and the beauty of what you have prepared for us and living in your kingdom here on this earth and what is to come. And Jesus, help us to, to be people who are part of bringing your kingdom to come, your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, that prayer that you taught us to pray. So Lord, thank you that you are faithful, that you hold us, that you are with us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.